Hi everyone, and welcome to this episode of Terry Talks Fiction. Today is a review episode. I'll be reviewing the novel Super by Jennifer Chen. In a society of superpowered children, all eyes are on Beta Bell, descendant of the great Francis E. Shaw, the world's original super. Bets are placed on which amazing superpower she will develop. Flight? Telekinesis? Super strength? Only Beta Bell remains stubbornly, infuriatingly, and inexplicably ordinary. Sidelined, she must face the painful reality that she might never live up to everyone's expectations. But when a new villain threatens the city, Beta is launched into a whirlwind of mystery, danger, and conspiracy. With a totally unsuper skill set, she must exhaust all her wits and courage to save her friends and to survive. As this is the first review to officially appear on Terry Talks Fiction, let's start with the obvious. Super is a great book and a worthy addition to the superhero genre. In fact, it's a noteworthy addition not only because of what it does right, and trust me, it does plenty of things right, but also because of what it deliberately doesn't do. And I'll have more to say about that in the spoiler section at the end. The narrative here is engaging and well-written. It effortlessly pulls the reader through the story. I read the entire thing in one sitting deep into the night. And it adroitly navigates the dizzying mess of cliché that comes with any new media that includes the word superhero. The characters are believable and well-rounded. There are no papier-mâché constructs here. Only a bunch of kids who've got themselves way over their heads and a series of adults are befuddled by the strange requirement of taking these kids completely seriously, some of whom could take their heads off with a laser beam at any moment if they don't. As an archaeologist, my approach to analysing and appreciating a work of fiction is highly contingent on the basic archaeological principle of context, both the internal principles of setting, character and narrative within the novel and how these elements play against the wider genre in which it sits. So in that vein, I'd like to break down what I think are some of the salient points that make this novel so great, one by one. Starting with the world. Like most settings in the superhero genre, Super takes place in a world technologically and socially very much like our own, with one key difference the existence of those who've won the genetic lottery and developed a range of unique and fantastical abilities. As far as superpowers go, all of your old favourites are here. Flight, telekinesis, super strength, eye lasers, fireball flingers, you name it, and it's probably mentioned somewhere within these pages. Even a few non-traditional powers make it into the mix. Technology manipulation, Precognition and empathic abilities are all possible in this world, as well as one less seen power that is a core element of the leading superheroes and antagonists' repertoire, metal manipulation. Of particular note here 
is the unique hook that comes with these superpowers. They are only wielded by teenagers. Although it took me a little while to be clear on this point, whether from my own skimming of an important paragraph near the beginning, or through Chen's communication of this particular detail, a defining characteristic of superpower expression in this setting is the short window of time within which a particular superhero can operate. With their powers fading upon adulthood, the superheroes of this setting are truly dangerous, both to the normies and to themselves. Left unchecked, who knows what these kids, still discovering themselves as all teenagers are, could possibly get up to in a fit of adolescent rage or simple immature misunderstanding. And because these powers fade, the world is populated by a truly interesting mix of people who, like elite sports stars past their prime, are watching and mentoring the next up-and-comers to the public stage of superhero work. Some taking this responsibility with grace, but others, as one would expect, with resentment or jealousy. Add to the fact that these kids are gifted with extraordinary abilities at the most hormonally tumultuous time of their lives, and you have a recipe for potential disaster. Luckily, like with many fictional worlds where superpowers are the norm, there's a clear national, perhaps international policy on superpowered individuals. In this story, represented by the League of Superheroes, a pseudo-governmental corporation that manages and directs the supers of Toronto and their missions. This corporation is, for the most part, written incredibly realistically and is an interesting take on how a predominantly unpowered social group would and could seek to direct the activities of possibly uncontrollable superweapons walking around their city. They have a highly developed early detection system for identifying superpowered individuals, a rigid social and directorial hierarchy for incorporating those supers into the business of protecting the city, and they are, as one would expect in the social media 24-hour news cycle age, extremely good at directing their supers' publicity. This facet of the organisation in particular becomes more and more important as the story progresses and provides a very interesting and believable means of control over the uncontrollable especially given the particular and specific emotional needs of the teenage population they're working with. Overall, this setting is wonderfully consistent with a proper and engaging exploration of how all these elements tie in with one another. Reading through, you never get the feeling that there's an element of this world that hasn't been fully fleshed out. And if you do feel like there are some aspects of the social structure that are hard to swallow at first, Chen returns to those points in the later sections of the story, masterfully elucidating why those particular niggles, obvious to an adult audience, were flying so unquestioned over the heads of the young teen protagonists. Which naturally brings us to our next point, the characters. Writing superheroes is hard. On the one hand, they have to behave like you and me, normal, or at least normal enough that we can relate to them. On the other hand, they have these fantastical abilities like flight or the ability to suck the metal out of the very device you're reading this on and turn it into a tiny statue of themselves. You know, if they just felt like it. Chen sidesteps this issue by centering the narrative on Beta, the apparently unpowered descendant of the world's first superhero. 
By doing this, Chen introduces the reader to the world through our own perspective, the person looking on as those around them, or before them in the pages of the book, go off and perform these marvellous feats. Not only does this bring us closer to Beta's character, but it also allows us to focus on the fantastic and the celebrity of these superpowered heroes in a very relatable way. We feel Beta's frustration at being left out, just as we feel the same sense of understanding as she gradually comes to realise what kind of lifestyle lies behind the gilded cage, one that we readers can relate to in our own observations of the benefits and the drawbacks of real-world celebrity. Chen's bold choice to make the protagonists, and a major antagonist, of the series Very Young Teenagers is also an interesting one. While this is obviously done in part to satisfy the age of her primary reading audience, the rules of the world she's created also trap her in this regard. In order to have Beta's central character conflict, her worry over whether or not she will finally develop superpowers of her own, she needed to be of an age where the doubt was still up in the air. By making superpower development analogous to puberty, Chen must, therefore, place Beta at the age she does, 12 years old. This leads to perhaps the only real niggle that I have with the novel in its entirety, which is Beta's incredible competence for a child of her age. Whilst I'm certainly not suggesting here that 12-year-olds aren't capable in the real world, and the changed social strata of Chen's world that comes with idolising youth and the very possible chance that a parent demanding their 14-year-old clean their room ending with an immolation, the competency that the narrative demands of Beta sometimes presses against credulity. She is not only an expert app developer, but a naturally adept VR gamer, detective and, due to her family legacy and close personal friendship with the city's leading super, intuitively cognizant of all the various social situations she finds herself in, whether that be evading bullies at school or having a one-on-one -on -one chat with the de facto leader of the entire League of Superheroes. Even so, Chen's writing of Beta's character is presented well, with enough of the narrative's themes initially completely passing over the protagonist's head that we are able, as readers, to buy into the fact that this is a credible 12-year-old's perspective on the world which she inhabits. The supporting characters of the novel are similarly well-fleshed. Beta's ragtag group of normie friends are well-written and engaging, but it is, of course, the superhero that draws one's attention. Beta's best friend, Gwenera, is an engaging and honestly real character. Her perspective on being a superhero both spoken and seen in the context of her actions throughout the book, is unique and refreshing in a genre that has all too often relied on its characters being the boy or girl scout or the gritty anti-hero. Gwen is refreshingly human and refreshingly childlike, not childish, but still prone to all the mood swings, drama and malleability of creed which comes with her stage of life in addition to her straining to bear the weight of adult expectations. Inherently, like most of the characters in this novel, she's a good kid, one who just happens to have been thrust into the global spotlight at a young age, burdened with exceptionality and expected to perform to the standard her role models demand of her. And speaking of those roles, we move to the narrative. 
Super follows a unique superhero plot in that it doesn't follow the struggles of a young superhero. Instead, the hero's journey of this novel is focused on one of those left behind, a dud who is not rising to her family's or the public's expectations for exceptionality. Unlike some of the other entrants in this particular niche of superhero story, Disney's 2005 film Sky High presents itself as the obvious comparison. The tension of Beta's apparent superheroic inertness begins as a key element of the plot, then slowly fades into the background as the scope of the tale widens. It's honestly refreshing to see a story in this genre that truly moves its characters beyond the problems that they face at the beginning of the tale, and focuses instead on the wider problems that develop as the characters explore the world. Beta's ability to move past her fixation on whether or not she will develop powers once she begins to unearth the true scope of the threat facing her city, and Gwen's character development through the narrative to reflect the changing circumstances and pressures that are occurring around her, are a welcome departure from the normal repetitiveness of both the superhero and the YA genres. Although a lot of the particular things I loved about the narrative really deserve to be discussed in the spoiler section at the end, I will say, without ruining anything, that there are certain subversions of the traditional superhero story which take place in this narrative, and that they are very satisfying. The scope of the plot, focusing mainly on what a society including both superpowered individuals and normies could actually look like, rather than focusing on the spectacle of said powers, is welcome and well executed. The central reveal of the narrative, whilst perhaps an obvious one, is nevertheless satisfying and delivered well through the eyes of our 12-year-old protagonist. Internally, the story does a good job of setting all the clues in place for the reader, if again a bit obviously for adult eyes, to service that moment where the protagonist recognises the retrospective significance of those clues, and thus this reveal remains effective within the context of the story. And within the wider context of the genre, this is an underexplored narrative arc that serves as a worthy addition to the thematic discussion of superhero stories and what it would mean to have these people living amongst us. Overall, Super is a satisfying and interesting romp through a classic superhero tale with a unique and well-executed twist. The teenage superheroes are intriguing and the protagonist and her team are engaging, offering a worthy commentary on the aspect of superheroes we have learned to take for granted after a hundred years of their representation through comics, books, film and television. In avoiding some of the major cliches of the genre, it offers a fresh take on superhero society, and that alone makes it worth your time to read and absorb in its entirety. You can get Super by Jennifer Chen on Amazon Books in both paperback and Kindle formats, and I'll have included a link to that in the show notes below. Now, if you've already read the book, or you're just that kind of crazed maverick who says, surprises be damned, I want to know it all, then we do have a spoiler section here where I'm going to be talking about some major aspects of the plot and characterization. So, if you want to organically experience these revelations through the narrative, which I would recommend, 
then it's best to hold off listening to the following until you've read the book. Go away, read the book now. Buy it, read it. Then come scuttling straight back. Okay, enough warning for everyone. Then here we go with the spoiler section. There are two main points I want to hit here in the spoiler section. The first is that the League of Superheroes are both the good guys and the bad guys. The central twist of the narrative, that the League itself is responsible for manufacturing the major crises which the superheroes are dispatched to redress, is one I think that was mostly done very well. As noted in the previous sections, this reveal seemed incredibly obvious for the adult reader, and I'm honestly pretty sure that your average reader of 12 plus would also see it coming from a mile away. But crucially, it's eminently believable that Beta, the protagonist, could be sucker punched by this information. Although we see all the clues in sharp detail, aided by our reading of this book within the established context of the genre, Chen does a great job of massaging Beta's character to be just naive enough to be taken in by the glitz and glamour surrounding the League of Superheroes. After all, who hasn't wanted something so badly as a child that we overlooked all the glaring impossibilities of our wish? And no, this totally isn't about that horse I wanted to keep in my backyard and ride to school when I was seven. Shut up. Now granted, it's more surprising that the adults in this setting are taken by surprise at this revelation as well. After all, even Beta's dad is seen in some early scenes questioning why the supervillain attacks and subsequent hero chases are always so clean and endanger so few innocent bystanders. But some of this can be written off as remnants of their own indoctrinization by the organization. Some can. The real question is why the non-superpowered people of this world don't raise a finger and say, hang on, what's going on here? Not having been through the League, it seems inconceivable that more of them haven't twigged onto the reality of the situation. After all, there are more people who haven't been in pro wrestling than have been in the real world, but everyone knows that the entire thing is manufactured kayfabe. And since the internet is endemic in this setting as it is in our own world, it seems utterly bizarre that there's not at least one superhero truther website out there spreading theories that glaze the undercurrent of the cultural zeitgeist just as the Flat Earth Society and anti-vaxxer movements infect our own. If that does exist, it seems not to feature in this book. Although this is a niggling doubt in the novel's context and the extent to which the general public chooses to participate in the kayfabe of the LOS or not is left unclear, at the end of the day, I still personally think that since we're seeing the story through the eyes of a 12-year-old, the twist works. I am a little disappointed that more wasn't made of this facet of the LOS, though. And seriously, LOS, underwrite a separate location for your warehouse of evil squidwards. If you can hide their R&D budget in your tax returns, then you can afford to buy out an old factory somewhere, you geese. There were a few obliquely referenced fatalities arising from some of the staged incidents that would have been really interesting to explore, and in a perfect world, I would have liked to have seen a lot more of that, a, a bit more development of the Counter-League as a true terrorist organisation, leaving scenes of horror and body counts in the dozens in the wake of their attacks, 
would have made the entire LOS smokescreen more believable to me. We've all seen the lengths of denial societies will go to in the real world when they feel their safety is threatened, after all. Now, I get that this level of darkness would have been difficult to develop in a book designed for a younger audience, and I really do love the focus on the LOS's role as a de facto damage control against the possible threat of unchecked, bored, superpowered teenagers instead. But as a result, the Counter League seems to be a fairly non-existent threat. Even some things in the world as simple as Counter League tags on crime scenes or on buildings or bridges that the heroes fly past would have made the Shadow organization feel a bit more present in the story. I never felt the danger of those extra imaginary antagonists, and it's one of the few true missed opportunities of the book. But speaking of missed opportunities, there is one deliberate choice of Chen's that makes my heart sing with joy. And that is the fact that Beta Bell is really not a superhero. This made me happy beyond all reason. Not because I didn't like the character or anything, and not because I didn't feel that this young girl deserved to be special, but for the important message that this decision sends and underscores, that it's your actions which make you a hero, not your genetics. All too often, so often that it has become a cliché, the protagonist of the story, who stands out because they are the normie without powers stuck in a world where they're surrounded by supers, fights and struggles to accept themselves for who they are, and are granted superpowers by the narrative as a kind of reward for going through that character development. I've always hated that narrative cheat. Not only is it lazy, authors seemingly unable to tell a compelling story, unable to make their protagonist special without the capital S, it also undercuts the entire point of having the non-powered person there in the first place. And yes, I'm looking at you in particular heroes season 3. If you're trying to show that human beings can be exceptional by working with their strengths, putting their heads down and just doing what needs to be done, then for God's sake stick to it. When that's the message, it can be uplifting and inspiring. Someone who has no powers at all, still choosing to step in front of the raging maniac who could literally eviscerate them as easily and as consequence-free as killing a blowfly? Now that's badass. When they suddenly discover in that moment that, surprise, they've been superpowered all along, all they really needed to do was believe in themselves, then, well, it goes from the world-stopping cultural drama of Tiananmen Square to just another story about the problems of the 1%, doesn't it? It must have been tempting, oh, so horribly tempting, to fall into this trap while writing this book. Beta wants to have superpowers so bad. It would really feel like a reward for all the nonsense she's put up with throughout the course of the story. But instead, the character comes to terms with who and what she is. And in doing so, she finds her strength. Nobody else could have talked Gwen down in those final moments. Laser Beta certainly couldn't have, by doing the only thing superheroes seem to be able to do, which is threatening to end violence with violence. But plain old Beta Bell could. Beta the friend, 
Beta, the normal girl whose exceptionality is her pure courage and determination. As it should be. Whilst Chen hedges her bets a little by leaning into the possible precognition angle throughout the story, this conclusion of the tale certainly makes it seem like Beta Bell is really who she appears to be, one of the very few normal people capable of standing firm as a hero in a world where superheroics have made everyday courage obsolete. If this book ends up having a sequel, then I really hope that's the message that remains, because it makes her and this book all the more special for it. It's a fantastic read, and one that I heartily, heartily recommend. If you made it towards the end of this spoiler section without having read the book, you're a maniac. But also, I hope that this perspective will help you enjoy just what Chen's doing here even more when you do get to read the book. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope that you enjoyed this uh, book review of Jennifer Chen's Super. If you haven't, please make sure to go out and get this book. Give it a read. It is fantastic, and you will enjoy it. And if you've enjoyed listening to this review, then please give a like or a subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes. Each rating that the podcast receives will help it climb in the ranks, help more people to discover it, and help me personally to get my voice, my perspective, and my fiction out to a wider audience. And I'll love you forever for it. But that's it for now. I hope that you have a great week, a great month, and I look forward to talking again soon.